Jazz. Bastard. Try this again. Welcome to Jazz Bastard Podcast 131. It's our last podcast of 2017. We hope you've been enjoying the holidays. If you get holidays off, if not, sorry about that. That's not fair. Write to your employer and abuse him or her, but do it anonymously. I'm Pat. I'm Mike. And we're going to talk today about some very recent releases that Mike picked out for us to look at. This is kind of a short week turnaround episode as we kind of pile things up to get us across the holiday gap. And uh, you want to talk about the albums you picked? Sure. So some of these were picked up in the big quintet blitzathon, and then some were just I saw them and I'm like ah must have. So the one that was picked up in the quintet blitzathon was uh, Matt Wilson's group. I guess this uh, we've. Have we done one by him before? I can't remember. I don't think so. Okay, I, uh, Gathering Call is the only other disc I know by him. So this is on Palmetto Records from, I believe, this year, 2017? I'll have to double check. Yep. Yeah, um, it is, yeah. And uh, it's a, a tribute, uh, Honey and Salt, music inspired by the poetry of Carl Sandburg. And it has a whole bunch of uh, vocal guests reading Sandburg's poetry, including one number read by Sandburg himself. An old recording, obviously, because Carl is no longer with us doing jazz podcasts. And then the other three things were by people who we've uh, looked at before, and these are very recent things. I thought it'd be interesting to check in on them. One is Kamasi Washington's 2017 disc, Harmony of Difference, clocking in at a brisk, what, 32, 33 minutes, something like that? Yep. And then uh, two Gregory Porter uh, releases, one from last year and one from this year. The I believe, I hope I have this in the right order, the 2016 release is Take Me to the Alley. And the 2017 release by Gregory Porter is Nat King, Cole, and Me, uh, a tribute disc to the king. So them's our four selections. Any particular order? Can I, can I put them in the order that I think you like them best? Sure. This is a tough one. So, and I don't, well... Uh, and you know what? I'm going to put them in the order I like them best. <laughs> okay, <laughs> there you go. Because I'm just hoping it's the order you like them best. So let's start. Uh, we're going from least to best like. So let's start with Matt Wilson's Honey and Salt. Okay, you got that backwards. Let's do that it. That was your favorite. Absolutely, by by a long shot. Wow, so, yes. wow. But there, I did, I do have problems with it. But yeah, wow. Mm-hmm. You like that? It was best. a rough week. Golly, I sure did. Settling fans, it's going to be a long podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. Uh, I'd like to hear why you liked it. Tell me why you liked it. Yeah. Well, um, I should mention. We should let me just throw out the personnel super fast. Yeah, please. Yeah, do. Uh, yeah that's Dawn good. Tom. Uh, virtually everyone talks or sings on this. Uh, Dawn Thompson, she plays guitar. Ron Miles on cornet, apparently not singing. Jeff Letterer, uh, he plays the reeds, also that irritating harmonium that crops up from time to time. Martin Wind 
playing acoustic bass guitar, which, you know, if your name is Wind, how are you not a saxophone player? What's that about? Irony. It would be like if your name is Bob String and, you know, you were a... You know, you were a drummer, it'd be weird. And then, of course, Matt Williams on drums. And, Will, Matt sorry, Wilson, Wilson excuse Matt me. Wilson. And then, um, so the readers on the various, so this is the tribute to the poetry of Carl Sandburg. I guess I should point out the, the backstory here is Matt Wilson had an uncle or an aunt who had lived in a house that Carl Sandburg lived in back in Knox County in Illinois. How far away is that from where you live, by the way? I'd have to look it up. Uh, I just I don't know my counties as well as I should. We're we're in the center west of the state is where I grew up. I haven't okay. looked on a map. I okay. could easily so not too far, up, but I haven't. So anyway, um, so there's some and there's a vague connection between a family friend of his and Sandberg, and there's some pictures that go with the interior material here. This is on the Palmetto Records label, and the readers of the poetry are Kristen McBride, who's reading the poem Anywhere and Everywhere People. Uh, Matt Wilson himself reading as wave follows wave. John Schofield, this must have done just, oh wait, um, yeah, John Schofield, we must be polite. I suddenly got him confused with Abercrombie who just passed away, which I shouldn't do that. Fog is actually a recording of Sandberg reading that. That has to be 50 or 60 years old at least. Then um, the read player, Jeff Letterer, play, uh, reads the number Prairie Barn. Jack Black, of all people, the rotund comic actor reads a snatch of slip-horn jazz bill frizzell reads paper two rufus reed probably my favorite voice here reads trafficker joe lovano reads paper one and uh, at the very end we have carla blay sounding every bit of her 70 whatever years she has carla blay reading to know silence perfectly and this is divided into i guess three chapters the songs are divided into three chapters with a two-song epilogue all right why would you like this yeah well uh I'd say the strengths of it are, one, I think the music is actually pretty good. Now, it's not all jazz. Some of it, uh, as as people pointed out, that bizarre, what's the one about uh, lift the fist for whatever, uh, what does it go? The single clenched fist lifted and ready for the open asking hand held out and waiting. Choose or meet by one or the other. It's like raise a fist. I don't know. It's like a march. Yeah. That's comic. And it's kind of, there's not improvisation on it, really. It, it's, it's almost Monty Python-esque. I think a couple of advantages for this project. One, I don't know Sam Brick's work. And I, to be honest, I couldn't have even told you he was from Illinois. So I'm kind of shocked I was not more <laughs> immersed goodness, in it. Given really? that he's, he's, he's known you know, for two poems, Pat. One is Fog, right? The fog comes in on little little right. cat feet. And uh, the other is, uh, he's the one, uh, has a poem about Chicago, City of Broad Shoulders, blah, 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 barf, barf, barf. Yeah, well, again, I'm not saying that I never heard of him, but just I was never you know, immersed in his work. He was not somebody I studied or thought about okay. particularly. And I think the fact that he's really uses language in a pretty demotic way, it's pretty straightforward, it's not very ornate or flowery, it's not rhymed, helps integrate it with Wilson's goals and purposes very well. In the words, I think if this was like the music of, or the poetry of John Donne or Herbert or somebody, that really ornate, really crafted language, it would have been harder to make convincing jazz backgrounds for it. But here, it, it's not that far from the ramblings of like a Tom Waits. Hmm. <laughs> I think it, it flows pretty well that way. Christian McBride, by the way, very sexy man with a very sexy voice. like that a lot. Yeah. His like, 
come over here, Kristen, <laughs> read some things to me. <laughs> I like it when you read. And I actually, I mean, Carla Blay, I don't know. Maybe it's my fondness for her. No, I liked it. I, I mean, liked she's, it. She's dry as a bone. Yeah, no, I liked it. Yeah, she's dry as a bone. She's she's seen a world weary, and I think delivery's fine. The single biggest weak point for me is the singing of the guitar player. She's just a little off mm-hmm. tune. And yeah. so she's featured more widely than I'd like. And I don't like that as much, but I like Ron Miles always have, and I like his playing on this album. And it just seems like there's an energy and an earnestness about it that, that makes it work for me. I just feel like that they are taking this project on from the right place. If they'd taken it more seriously or tried to arts it up a little bit more, I think it would have fallen terribly flat. If the words had been artier, and more challenging. And, and again, I don't know where Sandberg's reputation as a poet rests. I just, I've never been a poetry guy to any great extent. I haven't studied a lot. This has not been my ballywhack even back in the decades ago when I used to work with literature more seriously than I do now. So I don't know that much about him. But in terms of looking for someone whose words you want to stick into jazz songs, at least in this rendition, I think he's a pretty good candidate. Because certainly on paper... This was the album I was likely to like least. I mean, this mixing of music and words, often I do not appreciate that. I mean, I was kind of, I was saying that Nick Cave album I wasn't as fond of because so much of it seemed to be, what was it, uh, the skeleton tree? You know, seemed to be him almost reciting things rather than singing them. It was more about kind of uh, lots of language with ambient backing rather than songs, quote unquote. But in this case... It works for me. Wilson's not somebody I've got a huge fix on. I've had his Arts and Crafts album for many years. Enjoyed it, but didn't get galvanized by it. Uh, I'm sure I've got many recordings with him as a sideman. I think of him as somebody who's kind of known for a bit of a sense of humor and kind of I, a Midwestern dad persona. Kind of, I don't know. Hmm. I, you know, he uh, experienced a family tragedy recently. He lost his oh, wife. Yeah. I'm saying really horrible things, so I've got to keep this in mind. Sorry about your wife, but... Well, I'm not going to say horrible. I'm not going to say horrible things, but I'm this. It's a, okay, well, that's good. That'll be a good contrast to me for the rest of this fucking show. <laughs> oh, no. Brace yourselves, okay. people. It's going to be short Bastard and nasty. will ensue shortly. You know, my problem here... First, well, first yeah. of all, I want to say that he comes by the Sandberg thing, the family connection, honestly. The man's first album is entitled As Wave Follows Wave. So he's this uh, isn't okay. he didn't just wake up to San, Sandberg. He's that's been something a sort of touchstone for him. And to be fair, I guess I would have liked to see maybe the kind of personnel that I've seen on some of his other albums. He can I don't want to put this. On previous albums, he's worked with people like Kirk Nufke and Mary Halverson, right? He's he's in that that avant Chicago place right he he knows these people he worked with these people this is these these are his beeps and i guess i'd like to see a little bit more stretching I, you know i would have preferred maybe stuff to be out there having said i mean i like ron miles quite a bit but man oh man does the guitar get old for me fast i could love you love rain I could hold you as branches in the wind brandish petals I could love you as dry roots love rain I could hold you 
I divided this album into two halves. One half I called, loosely speaking, jazzy, and less than half of the album actually sort of falls into jazzy. And the other half I called noodly Americana, NPR, Ken Burns, PBS type shit. And it just sounds, man, it sounds like Starbucks. It's not even Starbucks. It's everything from Chapter 2, Prairie Barn, Offering and Rebuff, Stars, Songs and Faces, Bringers. This is just noodly. I don't know, man. I just, I can't get into it. It's, it's, uh, it's Americana. It sounds like something you can hear Terry Gross intoning earnestly uh, in an interview over on NPR while someone like Kamazi Washington, arguably a more vital voice in the music right now, doesn't, you know, gets ignored. I just, I, Oh, come on. He's getting plenty of coverage. Not from it's Terry not... Gross, he isn't. Well, maybe not on NPR, <laughs> I, I, but I would not be shocked if they did. I don't think there's anything in his oeuvre that would scare anyone at NPR, but but we'll get to I that. I would be... Well, this is in the NPR sweet zone of white people being earnest. I, Remember okay. Carl Sandburg? I mean, Let's talk... How did you... I mean, I can hear Terry Gross. And not, I mean, I like Terry Gross, but I can hear her right now. So how did you come to be interested in uniting jazz with the poetry of Carl Sandburg. How did you come to the poetry of Carl Sandburg? You know, and, and I throw up in my mouth a little bit when I hear that. So the, the songs I like best on here are the stuff, Daybreak is almost a New Orleans style march. I really like Trafficker. That's the one with Rufus Reed reading. And it's it's kind of noir, muted, muted cornet is lovely there. Some nice brushwork on the drums. We must be polite. It's kind of boppy, a soup anywhere and everywhere. Those are those are sort of groovy. They they kind of have a groove, you know, lo-fi uh, attitude toward them. But this is a uh, pretty unjazzy in general. And I'm glad I didn't include it on the quintet quintet episode. But I'm I'm not I'm not a fan of this stuff. It's okay, but man, it it just it feels like half of it is just sort of earnest, po-faced renditions of Americana linked with poetry, and, and I, I just, I don't like it, uh, especially the, the part that I kind of identify with that vibe. There's nothing wrong with it. I'm sure some people out there will just groove to this enormously, but I didn't, uh, and it left me kind of cold, uh, which meant, you know, sort of half the album just didn't work for me. If I was a big Sandberg fan, and I guess I know a little bit more about his poetry than you do, but not, not very much, maybe this would have worked better for me. But, you know, I'm always a little bit leery about jazz and projects. I think jazz and projects, we've talked about this, you know, it's always it's always well, sure. tricky. Right. And I don't think this counts as a success. It's, it's an earnest effort. It's a well-meant effort. It has its moments. But for me, I prefer other stuff by Matt Wilson vastly more than I, than I like this. So that's where it left me. And listeners, we just want to make clear, Terry Gross does not appear on this album. No. It just makes Mike think of Terry Gross. She's not actually there. And, you know, don't it, don't, don't point, get me wrong. I'm like a wet, squishy NPR lover, you know? I mean, I love me some Terry Gross. But there is that, you know, kind of... It's that kind of stuff that they satirized on Saturday Night Live when they have the NPR hosts. And remember that one with uh, Alec Baldwin? And it's... Maybe you don't remember this one. You know, everyone's whispering like this. There's two earnest women from Portland NPR. And, and, oh yeah, well, I, and I can't. Alec Baldwin I, I comes on, that. and he's he's selling these candies. He's selling these these sort of candies that are put together, and his they're they're balls. And his name is Shweddy. He's like, 
Would you like to try my sweaty balls? Yes, the sweaty balls. And then one of them oh tastes them and goes, mm, salty. <laughs> that's, you know, that's that NPR vibe. That's that's what I hear. When I, okay. Yeah, and I, I, you know, it drives me crazy. That's My wife will do dishes or clean to NPR on the laptop. I'm a podcast in the earbuds man, so I'm listening to probably more annoying things than she is, but I keep it to myself, so I don't feel so bad about it. Yeah, I to me, I guess... I didn't think, and I, I was only able to hear these albums a couple times, uh, both in terms of just time and also in terms of endurance. And in context, I mean, these are the kind of records that you pretty much have to be doing something very simple or nothing and listen to because they're all word-oriented except for right. the Kamasi. And that's over so quickly you don't have to worry about it. Yeah, to me, I guess that I wasn't really thinking as how good a jazz album is this. And I guess if I looked at it through that lens, I would agree. I mean, a lot of it is not jazz. It's music. I don't know that he's trying to sell it as jazz and Sandberg. It's a project he put together as a musician featuring Sandberg's words, but I don't think he's necessarily, I don't know. I mean, I don't know that much about Wilson. I don't know how much genre hopping he's done. I mean, certainly if you look like a Bill Frizzell-like figure in his later career, right? He does a lot of, Things yeah. like this, where it's it's more Americana stuff, etc. But for me, I just felt like it it worked. The blending of the music provided and the words typically seemed to gel, and it didn't seem maybe because the different readers and maybe because they were all fine, but they weren't. It wasn't like I don't know a professional voiceover artist right. doing it. The only the only thing I'd say about that is Jack Black is somehow putting on this grizzled old man voice. It's sort of weird. Snatch a slip-horn jazz. Are you happy? It's the only way to be, kid. Yes, be happy. It's a good, nice way to be. But not happy, happy. Kid, don't be too doubled up, doggone happy. Well, I kept wondering, and I, I, I did not have any personnel uh, in terms of I, I, the stuff on the Internet doesn't tend to break it down by performance and, and performer. Uh, they'll tell you who's in the group and that so-and-so is on the album. So I wasn't sure. There's one track that really annoyed me, and I kind of in the back of my head said, you know, I bet that's the Jack Black one. I bet it's the one where somebody's trying yeah, too hard. Yeah, he's, he's put on an old guy voice for that. He's like, you know, it's the one about um, Slipknot Jazz, and he's like, don't be too happy, kid. You know, and it's like, stop that. Yes, that, there you go. And I'm just fascinated about what the hell his connection with this project is. Does he yeah. know Wilson? Is he a huge Sandberg fan? I, I, I don't <laughs> exactly. know. I, you know, he heard someone was doing a jazz album on Sandberg. He's like, count me in. So like lobby. He's had his agent right. furiously lobbying. For. You know, I don't know. I, I'm curious about that myself. Or if they somehow connected on one of his music movies or something. I don't know. Don't know. Yeah, I, that, that that's an interesting story to me because you kind of can't imagine how Wilson might have run across Christian McBride or Carla Blay. Though even there, you know, I would say that Schofield, Carla Blay, Christian McBride, I, I don't know that these are musicians I necessarily lump together or think of as moving in exactly the same circles. So I do find it interesting, the variety of people from the – Rufus Reed, you know, that, that he, he's brought together to do this. I assume it's all people he's met professionally or socially, but it's not – like, I don't know, John Zorn right. and Friends or something, and Joey Barron does one, and Bill Frizzell does one. You know, it, it's it's a pretty wide net in a certain way. I mean, obviously all well-known jazz musicians, but but not, again, ones that I tend to lump together as a school or a generation or whatever. So, you know, cool. I, I just, I felt like just listening to it, coming to it, I really had no expectations. I wasn't sure what was going on. 
I thought yeah. it worked, but I can, uh, you know, and again, it's, there is no way around the fact this is a album of music with recitation and some singing to me the the, the real issue was, is that the guitar player sang a lot and I don't think she was expressive enough or master of her intonation enough right. to quite work. I, I, I th- thought she was close, but there's this fine line between folksy and flat. And I think she crossed it <laughs> once or twice for me. And that to me is what kept this from being a, a, a super successful record. But I, I, I did not have that kind of NPR and I'm fairly susceptible to it, but I, for whatever reason, I have to go back again. But the couple times I was able to listen to it, my lizard brain seemed to think things were working, but what can you say? It, it is an oddity. And again, it, in some ways, I think the success, whatever his connections with Sandberg or his love of Sandberg, and I've got nothing for or against particularly Sandberg, but maybe if you'd be dealing with a more major, more challenging poet, it might yeah. not have gone as well because th- that balance wouldn't have been there. And I did read somewhere, I again, didn't know much about Sandberg, that apparently he was a multi-threat. And among other things, he assembled a pretty big selling anthology of music. And so he had some huh. musical background. So he was not purely a wordsmith. And I just wondered, you know, maybe there's some connection. He also apparently was had some awareness of and, and, and appreciation of, obviously, earlier jazz So uh, with other music. So interesting that somebody who's that kind of slotted into the demotic, you know, the speech of the common people, I, I just felt like it was a good fit. But I'll have to agree to disagree. So what do you what's next on your list of pleasures? <laughs> so I'm going to go with Thomas E. Washington's Harmony of Difference. And uh, I'm not going to read all the personnel here because there's a shit ton of them. There's essentially a, a big string section here for large numbers of, of uh, large amounts of uh, the final couple of numbers. Uh, the main group is uh, Comacy on tenor, Ryan Porter on trombone, Dante Winslow on trumpet, Cameron Graves piano, Brandon Coleman keyboards, Miles Mosley bass, Ronald Bruner drums. And then deserving honorary mention, Terrace Martin on alto and Thundercat on bass and i think thundercat was also controlling the hot tub time machine right he was the one that was dialing it back to like 1974 or maybe you know 1980 somewhere in there somewhere yeah there's yeah that may be true so uh just so you know there's a this is associated with another project that washington's sister was involved in amani washington it was part of the whitney museum biennial and the music premiered uh, alongside a film, some film which I have not seen, which I'm interested in seeing, by A.G. Rojas. There's a couple of stills of this film in the material for the album. And then his sister, Amani, composed five—she's a painter— so there are five paintings. They have the same titles as the songs on this album, which I forget the exact order. Oh, Desire, Humility, Knowledge, Perspective, Integrity, Truth. So there are five paintings, and then the final painting, Truth, is actually a kind of 
it's it's its own independent painting, but it combines elements of all five other paintings. So mm. it is a visual correlative for what uh, Washington and the liner notes says he's about here uh, on this album. The idea is, quote, each of the five first movements is its own unique composition. Truth, the sixth movement fuses all five compositions into one simultaneous performance. So the music is meant to echo the images created by his sister. And uh, he says, my hope is that witnessing harmony created by merging different musical melodies will help people realize the beauty in our own differences. So uh, a charming thought, perhaps one that in your view was not successful. So let's hear it. What's your problem? What's your beef, you bastard? Well, as I sit in my Swedish apartment looking at the blonde barewood floor, Listen to this album, looked out again at shag carpeting. It's pretty <laughs> shocking right there. Holy shit, what's happening? Oh my god, no. My lapels have gotten so fucking big. Yeah, so Kamasi releases this three-hour, three-disc monster, the epic. And so my nickname for this one is The Footnote. <laughs> it, it's, it's brief. It is a series of very simple, straightforward, grooving songs. I think... I, you know, I did not go back to listen to the epic. It was a matter of time, a matter of nor, nor did I, nor did I. Yeah. But I'd say that maybe my vague memory of that album, which is going to stay vague for a while, is it maybe here Kamasi's a little bit more focused soloist, maybe a little more inventive. I thought he sounded pretty solid. Well, that sounds like a compliment. Yeah, yeah. I've got no beef with the guy. Uh, for one thing, he's twice my size and crush me like a grape. Yeah, I just. What it is are some simple, straightforward melodies, not developed all that far. They're fairly quick little tunes here. I mean, the first half of the album is of necessity, right? If there's going to be five songs and the whole thing is 30 minutes and the last song is pretty much half, uh, they're going to be little three, four minute renditions, right? these, These are not developed very greatly. And none of them strike me as anything that you couldn't have come up with in the 70s. And then the last one combines some motifs from them. But to call it a composition is pushing it. It Mm. is very simple songs, and they've got some harmonic kinship. So when you get to the last song, you can layer some of the riffs from previous songs together, and they do harmonize. I mean, in a sense, the way you get harmony of difference is there just isn't that much difference, so it's easy to harmonize them. These are not strikingly different. (laughs) And again, I mean, this... I hear what you're saying, though. I hear hear what you're saying. You're right. I, I guess my point is, if you look at this as music, it is slight and pleasant. The superstructure he's built around it of explanation i don't want to say what Alito smith-esque but you know it's doing heavy lifting that i don't think the music justifies i mean i liked it in that it was instrumental it was short i think the last thing again and this is going to keep coming up as a diabetic i can only listen to the final number so often Because when the chorus comes in and the strings come in, it is uplift in a needle. They're trying to kind of, okay, this is big and important because more. It's like, no, 
No, that's not how you get big and important, really. There's got to be something more than another layer of studio gloss and another bank of tracks clicking in. You know, it's got to add up to something bigger. It just can't be more. And I, I felt like it was reaching for profundity it didn't earn. But I mean, it's not like this. Again, if you take it as a footnote and you just listen to it for the playing on it, it's pleasant. And, you know, again, nothing innovative, nothing profound, nothing that the cross-references they set up are somehow revelatory or bigger than the sum of the parts. I think they're exactly the sum of the parts, but, you know, it was okay. If we keep checking in on them, that's okay with me. I, I, so far, I've not heard anything there that is, I, you know, Thundercat's fun. I like his bass playing. And I think Kamasi's a fine, solid tenor saxophone player. But, yeah, there's nothing that's quite magnetized me yet, other than the fascination and joy that he is you know, reaching young people and on a rock label and playing festivals. I mean, awesome. That is just awesome. God bless him. If he can increase the audience for this music in any way, shape or form. Wonderful. I, I'm all, right. all about that. Okay. That's all I got. So, so here's, here's, what's kind of fascinating, you know, so on rate your music, this is currently rated number three for okay. 2017. <laughs> okay. In now, what category? Just to everything? give you some perspective, there are like hundreds and hundreds of releases. And this is not just in the jazz category. This is all albums released in 2017. And to give you a sense of how well this is liked on Rate Your Music, I'm just going to read you the top review. It's short. And it is, I would say, about 179 degrees different from yours. There's no denying it. Kamasi Washington is at the top of his game and arguably the best jazz musician going on today. <laughs> okay, hold on. Okay, I'm under control. Keep going. <laughs> no, that's enough. I think I'll just stop there, okay. right? So my view comes in somewhere between that and yours, okay? To me, the final number is just fantastic. And the touchstone for me here is uh, David S. Ware. This is, he is in the pocket. He is doing David S. Ware things. And what I mean by that is, David S. Ware on his discs, quartets and quintets, especially in the 80s, uh, late 80s, early 90s, he was doing these uh, squalling Albert Eiler-esque, John Coltrane-esque building solos over constant repeated grooves on discs like Surrendered, for example. And there's, there's a kind of striving for, aiming for holiness or transcendence and i felt like washington got kind of close on truth i agree with you his soloing is much more interesting and inventive on this album than it was on the epic that has something to do with the fact that this is a concentrated effort the shorter songs don't admit uh, room for pointless noodling and where he really stretches out is on truth Yes, you're right. They do layer on the voices and they layer on the strings. But I found his soloing on that number over that bed of sounds to be kind of compelling. And I can remember the moment when the first time this came on, I'm listening to the, you know, I'm doing other stuff and I hear the first five songs and I'm like, kind of, yeah, yeah, it's all right. It's cool. It's not, I like it better than Matt Wilson, right? And then that sixth number comes on and I didn't realize it was going to be five times the length of any any of the other numbers. And it kind of kept building. And I thought it did a good job of sustaining tension and allowing him to solo over the sort of crescendoing voices and strings. So that actually worked pretty well for me. I like that a lot. It is not the second coming of anything. And people who think he is the best jazz musician going on today are just nuts. 
but it's pretty good. And I think it's a step above. I like it better than the epic. The brevity of it. A six is long. Of course, it's better than the epic. <laughs> well, the brevity of it, but also, you know, as we've talked about this before, concision means you got to get your ideas out. You got to get your thing out and, and, you know, get in, get out. There's something compelling about a jazz album where the songs are limited to, you know, three, four minutes where you just have to kind of make your statement and be done. And then pairing that with one song where he really stretches out, I thought that was very effective. So I, I like this quite a bit, and I like the song Truth, the final cut, the long cut, the best. So some of the things that, that you didn't like, I kind of and liked I had to it. check, because it wasn't David S. Ware who dressed as a clown, it was Charles Gale. So that, that was important for me to just sort out. I'd forgotten which one of those guys was avant-garde D- David S. Ware is the one who sort of wears uh, dashikis and the cool hats and okay. stuff. And, but he does and not dress as Streets of Clown. So that, he does not the, dress as a street clown. Because I was right. thinking Kamasi Washington in clown makeup for a while, and that was fucking terrifying. So, yeah, no. I'm, I'm still going to be waking up screaming because really this album doesn't make me think of Terry Gross. It makes me think of Terry Gross naked. <laughs> oh, it makes yeah. me think of Terry Gross naked on a bearskin rug oh, with a yeah. glass of wine in front of a fireplace. Definitely bearskin. Yeah. I, you know, again, I, I think that what he needs to do is borrow a title from Panford Marcellus. I want to hear an album called X number of MS playing tunes, but in a sense, his whole messianic stick is what, motors that engine you know motors that engine that's kind of not a working it, it is kind of the the thing that gives his career and his image that gravitas right that that everything is this right massive project with cosmic implications and you know sun Ra, you know the, the, we've had people like this in the jazz realm obviously in the pop realm again i, I just i don't I, I'm a little suspicious of it, musically speaking, but I, I would agree. I think he's grown a bit, and I like. I actually think a couple of these songs were undercooked or could have been played right. longer. Yeah. And I liked it again. And this is, and I also we got to be aware this is an album meant for. Have you seen the pictures? They're not like of children with enormous eyes, are they? Have you seen the? Pictures oh no, of the no, devices? no. They're 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 uh, they're actually quite. I should send you. I should, I should scan them and send them to you. The the pictures are are. I actually like the artwork. Does, cool. Okay. They're, they're sort of they're they're very abstract. And then when you see the final picture. It's they they it's interesting to see how the f- the five appear in this much larger picture. Which actually the, the cool thing about the larger picture is if you kind of hold it, if you look at it, you realize she's painted a face, but it's composed of these very bright elements from the five previous pictures. One is sort of a, a field. It looks like a field of yellow flowers, except the flowers mm, okay. are composed of letters and symbols. Another is the same thing, but with sort of blue. There's a series of red and black squares. There's this bizarre set of red abstract geometrical figures. It's hard to explain what they might be. And then there's integrity looks like a bunch of books. All of this done in this sort of abstract, thick, Mm. impasto, oil painting style. And then the five of them united, it actually looks like a face, but an abstract cubist kind of face. I like it. I think the the art's pretty cool. Not a crying clown face, so that's that's good. (laughs) Well... Maybe. Okay. <laughs> Maybe. Uh-uh. Hey, let me let, just just to make you feel better, let me read you you'll like this. The the most negative review on rate your music of this album. You ready? Okay. They gave it a half star out of 5. Half star. Lowest rating oh, you can I give never it. Oh, I do that. Okay. No, I know. Uh, very short one sentence review. Someone uh, reviewed this uh, 2 months ago saying, "Had John Coltrane lived long enough, this would be what his own doo-bop would sound like." Ooh, so many levels, so much pain. So, so, so many shots fired. <laughs> well, and again, I 
is fairly simple. It's pretty direct. It is in a certain weird time warpy way, commercial sounding. Again, no problems with that. I don't find it that riveting. I'd probably out of five, give it like three, maybe three and a half. Yeah, that's what I gave it. I gave it, I rated it a three and a half. And, and say that it, it's promising in that, that yeah. I think as a soloist, I found his lines a little more nuanced and compelling and substantive than they were before. And again, who can say where he's going to be at five years? I, my guess is if he starts making albums that really excite me, he's going to lose his audience. Probably. And to be honest, if his job is turning people on to instrumental music and getting them excited about jazz or its third cousin or whatever, keep on doing it, Kamasi. That's great. So the, the, This is rated the number three album for 2017. I mean, yeah, I can't I, tell you how fucking astonishing that is well, on this again, website. Well, you got to think about those millions of kids who are like listening to electronic dance music in clubs right now high out of their minds don't go to rate your music. No, and but I uh, guess Taylor just, Swift told her Swifties it's not a good place or something. Well, so I, you know, it, it that's not it's quite, a I mean, weird. Music audience. has it. It has a huge number of. So the top album is a hip hop album, the second okay. album is a metalcore album, and then Kamasi, and then the fourth well, album again, is rap. Yeah. The fifth album is a Bowie album. Makes sense. Yeah, I mean, yeah. people who are music enthusiasts. I'm not saying that their taste is bad. I'm right. just saying that they are an unusual small people who actually read and think about music and want to rate it. Tiny percentage of, of the human population, most of which it's just what you hear at the dentist or what you dance to or what you fuck to or whatever. It's not It's not a concern, especially now that it's something you turn on with a tap rather than something you have to actually you know, track down and think about and buy. Anyway, enough of Again, that. Again, just to rant. slightly put this in perspective and I'll shut up about Rate Your Music. The, the top albums okay. are, for the year are, have 2,000 or so ratings. He's got 831, okay. which okay. for a jazz album, that means there are 831 jazz enthusiasts or people who, who heard the epic who bought this album and rated it and consistently rated it highly, which is oh sure, you know, I mean, it, and it is right. I mean, good for him. Exactly, he is somebody who has got a profile where he's being talked about in mass media. He's being talked about out of the jazz ghetto. People know about him that have come to him maybe from works like the bass players. I can't think of the guy, uh, drunk, you know, or whatever. He is, and I think one of, and of course, Kendrick Lamar. You know, somebody who is in a network where you can literally feed people into your unusual sphere of music because they've, they've got an entry point. You know, they are finding yeah. you through people who are much more mainstream and are, you know, rappers or whatever. Again, having lived through the 70s are less fascinating to me, I guess. Old man, get off my lawn, Kamasi. Come on. Kind of stuff. Uh, but, right. but, you know, three and a half star. You know, not, again, not, this is not embarrassment. It's not a bad thing. It's an interesting little 30-minute chunk. Right. It's for the way you look at me Oh, it's for the only one I see V is very, very extraordinary E is even more than anyone that you adore Can love is all that I can give to you Love is more than just a game for two
Okay, what is next? Well, I guess it'll be Gregory Porter, huh? Mm -hmm. And I guess I should point out, this will be, what, the the fourth and fifth discs of his that we will have reviewed, which is interesting in its own right, since he's only recorded five. I think we will have... Yeah, I think we've done them all. We've done all the ones, you know, anything except the live discs we've done. He's got a live in Berlin that came out in 2016. But in a way, the podcast itself, I think of as sort of roughly coterminous with... Porter's arrival. I feel like he's a fellow traveler, even if we don't always like the stuff that he does. So let's start with uh, the Nat King Cole disc, Nat King Cole and Me. The this was recorded, I believe, in London. And in case you in case you didn't know, Pat, let me just help you out here. It involves guess what? The London Studio Orchestra. It does. Mm. There's a studio orchestra here for this. Part of it was recorded in L.A., apparently, or sorry, additional recording was done in L.A., which included more orchestration because there wasn't enough with the London Studio Orchestra. The band itself, he, he does have a little band here, piano, bass, and drums. Christian Sands on piano, Ruben Rogers on bass, Ulysses Owen on drums. Don't know any of those people. Terrence Blanchard makes an appearance on the Christmas... Do we know, is that his original crew? He was rolling with some guys for years. I guess I've been too lazy to look up. I don't think he is rolling with that original crew, so... If you go back, let me just back up here a second. Those are different people than the people who work with him on okay. Take Me to the Alley. Okay. Um, okay. There's no overlap. So I'll just read you the tiny little bit he wrote here, and then you tell me what you think of the album. I want to thank blah, blah, blah. Uh, Vince Mendoza did the arrangements. He says, uh, he captured the emotional surprises that I feel when listening to the music of The King, capitalized. Recording this music has been a dream come true. A dream sparked by the magic of the music of Nat King Cole. Do you remember when L-O-V-E was king? All right. Do what you got to do. Okay. (laughs) Stay calm. (laughs) You know, a a porter can be defined as a dark, rich, roasty beer. And what happens if you take too much of it is you get fucking sleepy, right? (laughs) Drink too much porter. (laughs) And uh, all that rich, roasted sweetness, it, it makes you drowsy. Yeah, I I actually have been dipping into this album inadvertently because the last couple of times I was in Malmo, which Joyce insists is pronounced Malmer. I think just it's the way it sounds when people say it around here, which is a little port city in the southern tip of Sweden, uh, right across the bridge from Copenhagen. I've been at Folk and Jazz or Jazz and Folk, or no, I'm sorry, let me try again, Rock and Folk, which is a little record store in the downtown area. And they've got a cafe and they've got records and CDs. And two times I was there, they were playing this album. So I kind of had a pre-sampler of it. This, to me, is what, boy, this is a commercial misfire for me. I, I, one, it is the arrangements are not great. They're overwrought. Porter, he's got an amazing voice, 
I don't think he's got this voice. I don't think he's got a, and I don't, these aren't quite, these are substandards. They aren't quite standards for the right. most part. Nat King Cole, not known as a great song picker, a great commercial force, a warm singer. But if you're going to like count on one man's taste, saving the world from nuclear disaster, you don't <laughs> dial Nat King Cole, right? <laughs> I got to know if the song's good or bad. If, if I get it wrong, we're all going down. It's like, maybe dial Frank Sinatra. Maybe, you know, but not Nat King Cole. I, I, I picked up this uh, LP like Time Life Club record collection or something uh, along those lines of his stuff. And I just realized, you know, he does some amazing stuff and he does some utter shit. The Lazy Hazy Days of Summer is a shit song. There is no redeeming quality. It's just it's shit. And here he's singing it. Um, so, yeah. Um, wow. This album is slow. L-O-V-E, love, is not a good song. It's a terrible song. You should not record da, that song. Da, 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 da. It's crap. <laughs> That's a bad song. Ballerina? What yeah. the fuck? I mean, it, it's... I actually there... probably should have put this before Kamasi Washington. Uh, so anyway, I'm going to be largely in agreement with you on several uh, things. Here. I know. I wonder who my daddy is. <laughs> and I, for some reason, thought... And I, Gregory, I took your name in vain. I, I wondered if maybe he'd come up with this one because the language is a little bit awkward and it's kind of sentimental and that's kind of his weak. But no, nope. apparently someone else named Gladys. Gladys, have you written that song yet? So, yeah, I just a lot of these songs aren't very good. I don't know that you should be allowed to do Nature Boy and The Lonely One on one album. That's just no, they're just too fucking close. One of those is plenty. Yeah, the, the Spanish song is kind of fun. Yeah, he, uh, he over-enunciates, which actually gives it some character. Estás perdiendo el tiempo Pensando, pensando Por lo que más tú quieras Hasta it works. I mean, it's, it's, it's yeah, you know, there you go. That's very funny. The Christmas song just made me miss Mel. Yeah, but, no, no one should be allowed. It's that season. And no one should be allowed to touch that song. Nat King Cole, is, he's allowed. After, sure. after King Cole, after Torme, I think everyone should just be banned from singing that song. It should just be... Except Mel Torme's like, no, everybody sing it because these royalties are so fucking sweet. <laughs> but, but honestly, the, after those two guys, there's not really well, anybody there, else that wants to sing you, that song. I've got to assume that given when this, this album's released fairly late in 2017, that they're thinking of this as a stocking stuffer for Grandma. And no one wanted to tell the family, Grandma's dead. So fine, pick it up for her. She'll like it just as much. Yeah, it's just, it's very M.O.R. I don't think Porter's voice is that suited to this kind of material. I mean, when he sustains a note sometimes, it just doesn't, it's weird because he's a, it's a powerful singer. He's got a resonant voice. You'd think he'd be cut out for this, but I guess he's got enough of that soul gospel tradition in him that I just don't know that he is the man that, that it's going to sound best on this stuff. And he is so earnest and sentimental. Yeah, my other little shtick for this was the story of uh, this rich family, and they had a troublesome child. He was prone to psychotic outbursts of violence, 
And so they hired the world's leading psychiatrist to work with him. And so the guy would take him to therapy every day. And this rich family kept calling him up and saying, how's he doing? Is he making, you know, the guy would say, well, we're making progress. He's, you know, how's he doing? How's he doing? And he's like, well, we're making progress. And finally, he just gets tired of the phone calls. They say, how's he doing? Is he getting better? We're making progress. I would not suggest getting him a submachine gun for Christmas. And I'd say that sentimentality, that is strings are Gregory Porter's submachine gun, right? Don't, don't, they, he does not need that. He is already on that side of the spectrum. He does not need further sweetening. He is, he's got a little tendency towards sentimentality. I remember just dissecting as both of us just went into excruciating detail on his last release and talking about every song on it. And out of that one, would I have picked When Love Was King as the, no, no. Yeah. Anyway, that's my so, take in, in a nutshell. So you know, I'm going to agree with much that you say here. Uh, it's not that his voice isn't suited to this material. Uh, I think he can put across any damn material he wants. It's the arrangement. Strings, orchestra. See, I, you know, think about Nat King Cole singing Mona Lisa, signature Nat King Cole song. And probably the best song on the album. Certainly one of the best songs Nat King Cole ever recorded. You know, Nat King Cole could put across that light material like Kisas, Kisas, Kisas. But Mona Lisa has an, it's, it's like a little aria. It's a little operatic aria. And he could carry that, although the arrangement of his version of it is far less overwhelming yeah. and saccharine. This arrangement is Wagner-esque. It's like, God damn. And Porter, I think, can sing this stuff. But in this setting, it's neutering as you pointed out, his best attribute, which is this bluesy uh, feel that he has. I mean, I love the man's voice, but opera is not his mode. And and this this is very much in that mode. It's very operatic. It's very inflated. Well, that's not fair. I mean, because it's vulgar. In other words, it's trying to sound like opera. A good opera sounds fine. Right. This is like right. not very good version of what somebody who doesn't know anything about opera thinks opera should sound like. Like big, big, big right. you know, and 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 Porter's voice, it can be big, but I don't think I don't think Luciano Pavarotti would have been able to overcome some of these arrangements. I mean, they're just so overwhelming. And yeah, the choice of "When Love Was King" easily one of the worst songs Porter has written. I mean, he he obviously is in love with and it, and he beats it with "Take he Me to the Alley." Right? Song. I mean, it's the same, roughly speaking, subject matter, except "Take Me to the Alley" is a coherent song about Jesus, where "When Love Was King" is like so caught up in its fucking symbolism that it's it falls on his face yeah. well but it's also it's it's bad yeah, poetry yeah, yeah. i hate yeah. poetry that rhymes where people th- this is one of the things that we joke about sting all the time but the man can write poetry that scans and he doesn't have to fuck the word order right, up yeah, to do it scansion. i hate i hate inverted word order as a way to make rhymes and when love was king i'm actually going to use this the next time i teach poetry i'm going to use that song because the inverted word order is pathetic it's not bad. It's, beth- oh, it's bathos. We want to comment to the running time of this song is seven minutes and 44 oh, yeah. seconds. It is more than two minutes longer than any other song in the album. <laughs> it's clearly that's where his heart is. And he loves this song. Like he wrote this song. He loves this song. And if he's going to give one tribute to Nat King Cole, it's going to be his song when love was king. Right. And the liner notes tell you this. I mean, it's a dead giveaway. And yeah, it is. It takes the bathos of the original song and then feeds it steroids and makes it even more pathetic. And and, and bathos for the fans listening who don't know what that word means. Bathos is embarrassingly bad emotion. Sublimity with a flat tire. It's, it's, (laughs) 
Exactly. You know, and it is as pathetic as anything here. I like Nature Boy. I think that's good. I like Kisas, Kisas, Kisas. I think that's pretty good. And after that, I'm not, I mean, I can listen to Mona Lisa all day long. It's just that 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 production is way too big. I can listen to Smile all day long, but that production is too big. It's just, it's it's inflated. But I do love the man's voice. I really like hearing him sing. Like Pick Yourself Up, Sweet Lorraine, those songs work if you don't pile drive them, if you are, if you're light. That's something he can't do. And Nat King Cole, that was the that was yeah. the essence of his song, Sing. right? A song, his, his singing. Exactly. Just that light touch where he could he could soar if he needed to, but he could treat things with that wry, ironic smile and, you know, sort of lightly bounce over these melodies. And the arrangement doesn't lightly bounce over anything. No. no. And, and I just, I don't think that Porter has got that ability. He is a little too sincere, a little too portentous. His mode is not that of lightness or humor. It just, and at least not now. I mean, I think to some degree there was a little, there are glimpses of that earlier in the career, but at the moment is not where he's at. So yeah, this, I ugh, uh, did not care for it. Well, he's, you know, he's lionized at this point. You don't hear critique. You only hear, I mean, he is yeah. lionized. He is, he is the preeminent male jazz singer right now. Doesn't mean he's the best. He's extremely good, but there is no gain saying him um, in the jazz critical world. And he is a crossover oh, artist. Yeah. When he played in San Diego, it was sold out months in advance. And that's not just jazz fans. I mean, so he is he's he's he he crosses over the R and B soul charts, and there is no you can't say a bad thing. Well, about I not him. yeah I not realize that he apparently disclosure an English group did a mix of one of his songs. So that holding on that begins uh, take me to the alley, and then yes. there's a alternate version of it. I think that alternate version is the one Disclosure did. So he was big in England on the basis of that for a while, which is just something complete, you know, I was completely unaware of. Yeah, I mean, he is he has crossed over into pop culture. Graham Norton had him on his show. Graham Norton, the sort of the gay Irish talk show host um, who's insanely popular, had him on, I think, with um, Jeff Goldblum <laughs> and who, who plays jazz piano. So I that would have been interesting to to hear the interactions because Goldblum, of course, would know something. And I think what's his name from the three hundred, uh, the the actor. Uh, I'll for, I'll remember in a minute. Anyway, so he's he's absolutely crossed over. Just and you can't say a bad thing about him. But yeah, I agree with you. This is a misfire, and it's probably my least favorite disc of his. It's the only reason to listen to it is his voice, which I adore. I, I love hearing this man's voice. I love hearing him sing. He's never straight on the nose with any of his readings. He always has little ticks or quirks. That's too strong a word. He interprets the material. So he's not just, he's not singing four to the floor. There's always interpretation and he always puts his own stamp on it. And that's cool. But yeah, the arrangement is horrendous. It's just not helpful. But it's holding on and it's holding strong Even though I tried to make it play the part But I can't fake it, it keeps holding on And it's holding strong Even though I tried to break it Heaven knows that I can't shake it Holding on Holding on Holding on, holding on. So I guess we're moving on to the final selection. Take me to the alley. The final cut. 
the final <laughs> countdown. Take me to the alley. Now, take me to the alley is so here's the group on this bad boy. Alicia Alatuja is the female oh. singer here. Uh, Chip Crawford on piano. Why did you make I that know. sound? Did you? You know. Okay, I, I'll let you complete. I, I just I did not feel like a, a female vocalist was wanted or needed on this album. But anyway, oh, please okay. continue. Chip Crawford, piano, Aaron James Bass, I don't know any of these names, Emmanuel Harold, and possibly his brother Keon Harold on drums and trumpet, Yosuke Sato, Alto, Tivan Penicott, tenor, and Andrej Pivek, Pivec on organ. So again, do you know any of those names? See, None now of them. They, they claim on all music that his longtime band is back. And I don't know, I, I, I was assuming, to be honest, that one of at least the saxophone players was from his band because while fine, I felt like the saxophone solo was at a level that mainly could be explained by him being a longtime con- compatriot of, of Gregory's. I, I didn't think if they brought in Studio Cats, that would have it would have been a different sound. Not that it was terrible, not that it was out of tune or anything else, but just, you know, I kind of said, well, that sounds a little bit like, you know, that OK guy that, that's played on his earlier albums. Chip Crawford yeah. has played anyway, piano with him before. So that's her claim. I, I've not gone back and looked at the personnel, and I just I there's his backing band was not somebody I felt like I wanted to like research deeply and and follow those names. So anyway, that was just my thought listening to those solos. It's like again, they are not unprofessional, they are not bad, but they did not strike me right. as big name heavy hitters brought into the studio to unleash some kind of thirty second masterpiece. And in general, I. I did you feel like soloing was particularly important? I mean, it happened, but until the very end of this record, there's not much jazz content. Really. No, I didn't. No, no, this is an R&B soul jazz album. So yeah, no, I agree. I didn't, I didn't notice them. There's a sax solo on one of the numbers I thought was pretty good, but nothing that I thought, oh my yeah. God, that's not why you listen nope. to Gregory Porter. All right, so let's have it. Let's have well, it, you bastard. Yeah, I, this is the one where I, I, I got to admit, and I like it better than, than that King Cole, but the combination of these two, I'm thinking... Do I need to say, Michael, pick somebody you never want to talk about again on this podcast? And I'm going to pick Gregory. At least, in, and again, he's got an amazing voice. I mean, I like his voice. It's, it's got great timbre and tone. I'm just increasingly disinterested in what he's doing with it. To me, from his first album to this, there's been a very clear trajectory, and it's been down. Not in professionalism, yeah. not in talent. Not in production quantity, just in interest to me, a jazz bastard. I think his music is getting further and further away from jazz. I think that the interesting tension and some of those early songs, wasn't there a song called The Lion Song or something like that early on? It was about a... Yeah. That you felt like... That we that we thought should be called The Wedding Song, no, no, right? No, or was no, that the... I'll take care good of it. Good right. Hands. Good and, Hands. And I guess that the, the point is that Good Hands are taking over and, and the line is increasingly caged. I, I, I want Gregory to get laid. I, I want his next album to be full of beautifully sung F-bombs. I'm just, he is, he makes me feel old. <laughs> and you know, again, and I'm not saying, Lord knows. I, is this the equivalent of, is this the equivalent of dad rock, dad jazz? Listen, I, I'm a fucking dad. It was great. I went to the, uh, this, uh, I have to get, a, I, I only had one pair of blue jeans with. I got three pairs of pants in Sweden. I need a fourth pair of pants. So go to the mall and I was scoping it out like a month ago and I'm saying, okay, well, the blue jeans there are all over a hundred dollars. And then I went to this other one and I can't remember the name of the store, but I just characterized it as for men who've given up hope. It's like this great picture of, <laughs> of these very pleasant looking uh, models of all different age groups, including they make sure to have a seven year old in there. And it's just a real clear. It's like, yeah, you, you guys aren't setting the world on fire. We've got some pants that'll fit on you. 
And what's really humorous is they sold me pants that I can get into, but they're still attempting. To, they're like skinny Europe dad jeans. It's like, no, the whole point is I can't wear skinny pants. Don't pretend. Anyway, anyway, I was a little scared that when I put through those piles of pants, I was going to find Gregory waiting for me back there in his hat, ready to sing to me some dad jazz. I just feel like his ambition and his interest is gone missing. I don't think Blue Note has done him any good other than commercially. And again, I think he's a fantastic vocalist, and I think that it's a pleasure listening to him. I mean, in a way, he's increasingly reminding me of Adele and that fantastic voice, likable personality. I think he's a more interesting singer or can or a songwriter than or can be than Adele. But again, the trajectory of his art, aside from like, Take Me to the Alley, which is just a little too sentimental, a little bit, but still, I kind of, okay, that song is coherent. It makes sense. It's like saying... Jesus is going to look out for the poor people. Okay, great. That 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 lines up in a way that When Love Was King just doesn't. But yeah, a lot of these songs I don't find that interesting. Wow. And he writes a couple to his son and one to his mother. And again, you know, I, I Lord knows I don't have a rock and roll lifestyle. God knows I'm a boring middle-aged guy. But at some point, it's just like something other than just that fucking wholesomeness over and over again. I just need something. I don't care what it is. I really hate the IRS. Just something, Greg. Give me some kind of edge or some kind of insight or something memorable. I'm glad you liked your mother and your son. I liked my mother and my son, too. It's just not very interesting. I didn't write a song about it. So, yeah, that's my feeling. I think towards the end, Fan the Flames, French-African Queen. I was walking around in Paris near the few poisons bar. Said the woman at the front door, Do you know the place you are? This place is for the fancy. I don't think you fit the scene. You are just American black boy. I'm a French African queen. As she was tall and statuesque, she looked straight over my puzzled head. She said, Don't make me get real ugly. You heard just what I said. I've got music for the people. I must fulfill my precious dream. Things pick up a bit. It's a little bit jazzier. That's kind of where they stick the jazz at the very end of the album. I think he's a fine singer. But I just, man, I mean, long stretches of this record, and this is the one of the two that I like the best, still just seem really dad jazzy. I like that phrase. Let's stick with that. So uh, I had, so this was the one where the first time I listened to it, I was like, oh, dear. And then the second time I listened to it, songs started to jump out at me, which is always a good okay. sign, where I was like, oh, wait, uh, what's that? And so the standout for me here is uh, Don't Be a Fool. I like this song. It's very much a Gregory Porter song. Gregory Porter has basically one or two key motifs in his songs. He's often talking about frustrated or ended love or love that's threatened, right, you know, yeah. and his songs are often pleas to his beloved to come back or pleas for her to forgive him and he's very comfortable in that pocket he's very comfortable in the I fucked up let me back should we in. call it want to be a dad jazz is that really what this is about <laughs> he's not a dad but he wants to be Something, a dad you know and and you can see why this is insanely popular right you can for people who consume jazz you can just hear people going oh yeah i mean you can hear this getting played at at weddings everywhere and uh, what i liked about don't be a fool it's it's he, he he scans really well here. The poetry of it works really well for me, and I love his voice on this particular song. He he, it's I just it works for me. I like this song quite a bit. And as I listened to it more, a couple songs also stood out for me. 
French African Queen was great because for once we have a song that isn't about I fucked up or I'm about to fuck up or we fucked up. But uh, hey, it's a it's a it's a woman in uh, France in Paris who's like saying, "What you doing here, boy?" You know, I'm like, "All right, that's that's a little wry, that's a little ironic." I thought uh, Consequence of Love was pretty good. I like Insanity again. Insanity and Don't Be a Fool. It's the same song, but. <laughs> With a different idea, uh, a different uh, different melody, but it's the same song, right? I mean, the lyrics are, we screwed up, we've we've gone too far apart, let's stop this now. And I like holding on as well. I like the opener. Uh, the lyrics are terrible. Um, <laughs> exactly. He's he's channeling Hall and Oates at one point, but the warmth of your kiss, I can't dismiss. There you go. It's on my list, yeah. Right. But... Uh, the 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 music is actually I like I like the link he he has in the songs of his that I like the best he he links the poetry to the melody in ways that I find memorable and compelling the man can the man can not all the time occasionally write a pretty good hook and little little bits of his songs will stick in my head for days so the one I can't get out of my head right now is don't be a fool I just I keep hearing the it's it's a uh, the line I know your heart now and before I won't do it anymore. It's the way he sings that it kind of it's just hooked in me now and I can't I can't get rid of it. In the second when he comes back to that line in the second chorus, it's not I know your heart now and before I won't do it anymore. It's I broke your heart now and before, but I won't do it anymore. Eyes, whose weight now shows upon your faceless smile. Broke your heart now and before, but I won't do it anymore. Trust in me and fall in love again. Listen to these charms, baby, I'm not fooling. It's wonderful. I really like that. It's not profound, it's not deep. It's, you know, Gregory Porter apologizing but he apologizes really well Not often he's got practice so uh, yeah but um so we have complained in the past that we sort of want to see one of two things from him one was for him to do more covers and i guess we now have to have an a, a amendment oh, to that wish yeah. because it's not him doing covers it's him getting an arranger who has a lick of sense and what he needs is i think we can agree now pared down arrangements it would be worthwhile to just hear him with piano perhaps uh, or just you know very scaled back group but in addition he, he needs to pick different songs he needs to be a bad boy he needs to break bad on an album never gonna happen we need, you know gregory port i know uh, but we need like we need Black Swan, Gregory Porter. Do you remember? Do you remember years ago, Kobe Bryant when he had uh, the center on his team was Pau Gasol, and he was trying to encourage Pau Gasol to be much more aggressive in his playing. He says, "I need more Black Swan, Pau Gasol. (laughs) I need, I need Black Swan, Gregory Porter. I need Gregory Porter to bust out and just go like, fuck you, bitch. I'm done with you. Kick some people to the curb." He'll probably lose a huge amount of his listenership. Well, I think the problem is, you know, one thing that is interesting about him is he's not that much younger than we are. He's born 71. He's 46 years old. And so yeah. when he breaks big, he is already in that West Montgomery long established middle aged guy zone. He's been doing what he's been doing a long time. And yeah, I just I don't know that. We're not going to watch the kind of wild growth spurts you get with like a 17-year-old, and, and then she turns 18, and it's a different story, and then 20, you know. And I don't, I, I just feel like that the Blue Note connection 
has only encouraged his worst tendencies. It, it's it's been exactly right. the wrong to be commercial, to be acceptable. We found something that works. Why? You know, and Gregory, let's uh, Radiohead covers. I, I don't know. I mean, he he yeah. I think he needs outside songwriting. I think he the last person on earth that I wanted him to go di- trawl through the songbook of was was Nat King Cole terrible choice for anybody i think because again terrible song picker but especially for gregory porter where all his vices get magnified i don't know i what you'd like is somebody it, it may take another couple decades and you'll get like so you know was it rick rubin who worked with johnny cash whoever it was that produced those late you know somebody right. with a strong vision who says here's this maybe a porter's been forgotten for a decade and here's somebody who can really fucking sing and wouldn't it be interesting if they sang this and right now they're on a downswing enough. They're going to listen to me and try it. And I, that's, I think, our best chance to get interesting music out of him. For me, I mean, again, you know, I'm not, he's an amazing singer. He's got a great presence. I agree with you. He, he has got a gift for the occasional memorable turn of phrase or of, of melody line. He can sell a song pretty well within a, what it seems like an increasingly shrinking ray, range, as you said, of emotions. But, right. I mean, he's good at them a lot of things to say for this guy. And again, I, his job, just like Kamasi Washington's job, it's not entertaining Pat. It's they, he's, fuck Pat. He doesn't need Pat. Pat's the last thing on his mind and he's doing a great job for that wider audience. But I just can't say that I listen to his albums with much interest. I mean, I was walking around downtown with the headphones on cause that's really the way to listen to vocal music. And I'm just like, man, how many more tracks kind of thing, <laughs> you know, especially mm. with an acting Cole project. <laughs> Americans doing violence sure. to himself in the square. What do we do about this? Socialism, the rescue, the Swedes are going to come bundle me up and put me in a straitjacket. I just, it, it's their slogs. It's a shame because of all the people that could produce something that wasn't a slog. He's definitely got the equipment to do that. I mean, you know, if you gave him the right producer, but, but right now he's going from strength to strength commercially. He's, you know, solidifying an audience. I'm guessing of, People our age and older who are looking for another M.O.R. voice in a slightly jazzier vein, like an Adele. Yeah. And, and he's, he's, he's crossover. Like, he's popular in the African-American sure. community. He's popular with – he is not in any sense locked into a particular kind of – when you make Graham Norton in England, I mean, he's huge in Europe. Well, sure. He's well, and I think, and just there. again, that he is not somebody who's going to talk to a specialist jazz musician. He could if he wished, but he does not wish. That's not Graham's shtick, and that's why he's huge. So yeah, exactly. I right. I mean, I I'm not questioning his popularity, and I think it it's always made sense. He's always been kind of into this hybrid genre. He's never been even in his earliest work, you know, wholeheartedly committed. But I mean, we are a fucking long way from like putting lyrics on a Wayne Shorter song here, and. It's not a direction yeah. that I've been interested in following him. I absolutely understand why he's taking it. And I'm not saying that he's doing it just for the money or something. I think it's 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 I think he likes this stuff. I think his heart is Gregory here. Porter's yeah. taste doesn't impress me. His talent does. Right. But I'd really rather have someone else in charge. You know, I feel like we've given him plenty of rope and again, if you're if your job is pleasing Pat, which it's not I'd like someone else to step in and start picking songs now. But, you know, amazing singer, and he's got a great career. And again, if he's somebody, oh, he's a jazz singer? Maybe this jazz isn't so bad. You know, maybe one out of a thousand people. Or If he brings sure. someone to Kevin Mahogany, sure. that would be awesome. Absolutely. You know? Yeah, you know, the, the, the figure I think he reminds me the most of when I try and place him is Lou Rawls, yeah. right? Yeah. Amazing, amazing voice crossover appeal to uh crossover appeal in terms of audience crossover appeal in terms of genre and never really gonna challenge you 
right? Yeah. It has just enough jazz bona fides and miles of talent, right? And it's just kind of got a mode. Lou is a little edgier or was a little edgier than Gregory. Lou was pretty is, awesome on the fucking this... Muppet show. I'm telling you, you know, he was a hipster there. I was like, oh yeah. Have you listened? Have you listened to a few Lou Rawls albums? He's well, amazing. And... Don't shit yeah, on no, Lou Rawls. No, I, I, that was he's... not. Uh, he was fucking oh, amazing on the Muppet Show. Like, oh yeah, this is this is a he's <laughs> oh, okay. a black man on here. He's, he's wearing this amazing suit and he's singing great and he's this hipster. That is like, a great example. Can you totally see Gregory Porter on Sesame I, they Street? They might not let him go. It's like no, no, I'm a I'm I'm. <laughs> you're a cast I, member are now. Are you sure? <laughs> the hat that can't be. No, you're, you you are a, you're a Muppet, aren't you? No, 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 you can't leave Gregory. You're you're part of the. He'll be here forever. It becomes yeah, a Twilight Zone. You, know, you can never leave, Gregory. He's he he reminds me a lot of Lou Rawls. The only difference was Lou was a little uh, in his material could be a well, little he's edgier. edgier. He's sexier, and I I think Lou is. He was more seductive, more, more overt. Lou is a performer who is not tainted with the singer songwriter earnestness. Right, and that to me, if Gregory just had a little bit more twinkle in his eye and a little bit less lead in his pants, I'd be so excited about him as an artist. But it, it's there's that. Just a little too much earnestness, a little too much sentimentality, and it just doesn't, you know. And again, it's not, I mean, I like committed, earnest artists, but they've got to be interesting. <laughs> and it, it just, yeah. I, oh, it, I'm, I'm fine with putting a moratorium on him. I'll just keep checking in, and if I find that in a future album, Gregory has gone over to this dark side. If he's go. if he's in touch with the dark side of the force, or he's you know channeled his black swan, I'll let you know. I just the album is leather and baseball bats, and I'm looking forward to it. Gregory looking real mean at age 52 on that cover. Yeah, I, right. And again, just it, oh, anyway, sorry. It was just that was a, it was a rough week. Out of the Pop matters. You got any uh, pop on your plate? I know it's not a goddamn week. thing. I've been I've been swamped with work. So hopefully by the next time we record, which will either be in two weeks or in a month or whenever, I'll have something to report. But the fact of the matter is, I'm barely keeping up with the work that I'm paid to do. So no. Go ahead. Tell me about your latest festival or whatever fucking thing you went to where some teenage Swede performed uh, the works of Van Halen hanging upside down from a scaffold. Go ahead, tell me, tell me. That would have been awesome. Yeah, I know uh, the only thing I was able to get to this week was the new clientele album, Music yes. for the Age of Miracles. If you know the clientele, their music yes. is kind of evanescent and wistful and melancholy. Um, this album is evanescent and wistful and melancholy. I think it's a little bit more energetic and melodic or as energetic and melodic than their previous stuff that I've heard. I've only heard a couple of their records, liked them both. I like this one. I, I don't certainly uh, pitchfork hated this one. thought it was a drop off. I, I don't get that sense from it. It's another clientele album. If you like what they're peddling, you'll like it. I believe I did. Where does this fall on the clientele? Well, you know, evanescent, I, light, fluffy side. I, it's a little different in feel. 
it is more dreamy and withdrawn and romantic and more about mood. It's not so much about human relationships. It's more about someone drifting through an experience and meditating on it in a kind of evanescent and wistful and melancholy way. You know, I mean, that that's their thing. So it is certainly not. Yeah, if, if your favorite band is Black Flag, keep a wide berth. And that concludes episode 131 of the Jazz Bastard podcast. As always, you can reach us at Mike at jazzbastard.com or at Pat at jazzbastard.com. You can comment on our Facebook page. You can like it if you'd like to. Or you can reach me with a message at All About Jazz. You can download the podcast from www.jazzbastard.com, from Apple Podcasts, or again, we have a summary article each month at All About Jazz describing the podcasts of the previous month and allowing you to listen to or download them from their page. So your choice, however you'd like to get this delightful content. Tune in next time for a very special episode. Mike is going to lead an interview with Charles McPherson, veteran alto saxophone player, still very productive, made excellent albums of the last few decades, known for playing with figures such as Charles Mingus. So we're really looking forward to see what Mr. McPherson has to say. I will be there as well, of course, but Mike will be leading things, and you know this is hopefully going to be a really good episode. Also, we didn't get you anything for the holidays, but if you want a little bonus, after this episode ends, Mike discusses Gregory Porter's hat in great detail, and then introduces his parlor game, Most Disappointing Sexual Predator. I'm sure that'll be a lot of fun at dinner parties for everyone. Till next time, take care. You know what? I can, I can, I can uh, let's say something else here about, uh, let's talk about the omnipresent hood and hat, right? So uh, Gregory Porter's had some kind of, he, he's been asked about this often. He wears a, a hood, for those of you who don't know. He has a kind of hood that he wears that covers his face, most of the sides of his face and his chin. And a sort of, he wears a sort of cabbie's hat that he pulls low over his forehead, right? And he's just not photograph photographed without these things and he performs in them, right? And I think... You know, he said in interviews that he's had some skin surgery and he's not comfortable. That's cool. Okay, fine. I mean, he has every right. I would also point out that as a marketing tool, I'm not saying he's doing it intentionally, but this makes him this vulnerable, wounded, big teddy bear. I think that has to at some point play into some of the market appeal. He's this wounded, you know, he's this wounded individual. No one knows what the wound is. You can't see it. And to to talk about it too much would be crass and intrusive. And I'm, I'm not saying that there's a deliberate thing here on his part, but it doesn't hurt, does well, it? Well, and let's not undercount too. I I think my sense over the years, the last thirty years of thinking about it, and it, I may be wrong, I may stand corrected, is that to some degree the the public and I 
is really good at finding talent, and they aren't very interested in finding taste, if that makes sense. In other words, that people that just mm. have great natural ability or just something amazing about them as performers tend to do really well. And the people that us music nerds find interesting and fascinating, and are, you know, they don't necessarily, oh my God, you knew about this obscure such and such. The public doesn't give a fuck about that, right? Well, you look at Queen, right? Their critical reputation versus their commercial fortunes. You could argue a lot of their music was insincere crap or not, but Freddie Mercury's an amazing singer, one of the all-time amazing singers. Brian May could play guitar fast. They had incredible production. I mean, you listen to those things, and they're, they're just some amazing... And I like some Queen stuff. I don't have a beef with them. It, it's that kind of thing. Again, Adele, right? She is... She may not have the most amazing taste in the world, but she's just a phenomenal singer. And I think Maynard Ferguson, he could play really fucking high. He had no taste at all, but he was a, you know, a phenomenon at some level. Those people, I think, break through pretty well. And I think, you know, Gregory has, he's got an amazing, warm voice. It can move you. You know, it is more than just technique. There is some soul in it. And yeah, I mean, he's got this persona, right? Absolutely. The hat buttoned up over his head. At least, you know, the thing is, I see that. I just think you're just going bald, dude, right? I mean, lots of people wear hats all the time because they're fucking bald, which is, you know, fine. So it's interesting that there's something more serious about it. And it kind of makes sense to me that he's just so insistent every single time because even, you know, Paul Simon would take his off occasionally or whatever. Now, I think he's just accepted that he's bald and cool with it. But there's a period there in the 70s when it's like he's wearing a hat because his hair's going away. Yeah. Well, before I was I was late getting online for this in part because I was I, I went back to Google about the damn hat again and you <laughs> hat know, on, the Wiki, on the Wikipedia page <laughs> yeah on the Wikipedia on, the, on his Wikipedia page there's the same comment that's been there before but he's talked about it a little bit more in uh, to British papers mm. and again he's very right, big yeah. over there bigger in Britain and Belgium and Belgian Germany, Porter perhaps yeah, yes. even than he is here. They they love him over there, and he opened up about it a little bit more, and just that that he's had some some work, he's had some something done, and if you look at lots and lots of pictures, I mean, it's consistent, you know, it's not like loose or anything. It's he it, it's that hat is pulled down See. right to his eyes, and whatever. I don't know that it's hair. I don't know what it is, but all I'm saying is I don't think it's deliberate, or it may be. I don't know. I mean, who knows the heart of of Gregory Porter, but. The fact that so much of his singing persona is the sort of wounded earnestness, the the hood and the hat don't no, no. hurt. Yeah. They actually go with the and persona. And again, he may not be thinking that, but I guarantee fucking to you that the marketing department at Blue Note is. Well, yeah. and, and you know when he does, and they got, always have his picture prominent well, sure, on right. the albums. Like yeah, you that'd get, be true of any, right? You bam. Know, and, uh, I guess I don't find it all that flattering, but but yeah, what's going to happen is his his bad boy album, which is all like heavy speed metal covers. He's going to take the hat off. It's a swastika, the ultimate <laughs> shocker. No one saw that coming. Well, Godspeed, you, Gregory Porter. Yeah, who? I mean, I don't know. And you know, people get self conscious about things that oh, hey. they shouldn't be shouldn't be self conscious about. I've got a little bit of uh, eczema on my right index finger, and whenever I'm in lecture in class and I'm using the overhead camera to show something. I'm very self-conscious about hiding that finger, and it's nothing to to another human being. They'd be like, "Okay, so you got an eczema or whatever," you know. But to me, it's like, "Oh, you know." Oh, sure. But when it becomes "uh," after a while, it becomes a thing, and whether or not it's whether or not he's had you know grotesquely hideous, his terrible scarring, or it's incredibly minor, it's now a thing. Either way, it's now a thing. Sure. Even if it's irrelevant, it's a right. thing. Wait. 
he has every right to wear a hat as long. He as can do whatever he wants. Like, he can, course, he can perform know, in a ski no mask. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Balaclava <laughs> with just his eyes showing. That'd I don't be awesome. Care. The bad Gregory. He's going to come in a ski mask. <laughs> I'm here to soothe you. Yeah. Okay. What would be the album you'd be most surprised by him doing at this point? Oh man, one I liked. Um, and I do like. Some no, of not them. a good surprise necessarily. Just you'd be like, I, well, that's the thing. Oh I, my god. The thing is, I can't. What the fuck? I am not the kind of thinker that can come up with an alternate future for him it, right now. It, I know where the rock is pointed, but. Yeah. Yeah. You're right, though. He needs a, he needs a Rick Rubin, or not necessarily Rick Rubin. But he needs someone of that stature to say, "Dude, dude, no, dude." You know, maybe just like Marvin Gaye as jazz, just a little more jazz content in those soul songs, and you know, maybe sing. Let's have some testosterone. Sex, so sexual someone, healing. Yeah. Well, that's why he's always sad, man. She wanted me to take I off the hat. Him, wouldn't you like to hear him do like a, a sexually confident song about "I'm gonna fuck you up." That would be with that voice, you know. He could. He oh yeah. He could sell a song like that. He could sell a seduction song in a heartbeat. Absolutely, and uh, it's going to be called Hat Trick, and every track of it's going to be about hats. <laughs> it's going to be awesome. This uh, this this parlor game, by the way, the parlor game. What will Gregory Porter's weirdest album be? Over here in the states, there's a new dinner game that I've invented, and I would like to take credit for it now. <laughs> and it's a special kind of game. You have to imagine. You have to name someone who. If they were outed for sexual harassment at this point, you would be genuinely shocked, surprised, and disappointed. Because every day there's a new person. I don't know if you've been following the news over here, but every day there's a new person. And when you think about it, it's really hard to think about someone. But I did think of at least one. Okay. I'll I'll say it, and then you can tell me if you've got any, you know, follow-ups. Carol Spinney. The 82-year-old man who does the voice for Big Bird. Oh man! If I found out, uh, if you found out that Big Bird had sexually harassed someone ever, we should just fucking kill ourselves and give the planet back to the cockroaches right now. No, see, just like, I look at him and I think, oh yeah, no, he is—he is a complete fucking pervert. He only has sex in that suit, <laughs> and he's not in the suit, you idiot. He's not the puppeteer. He's just the fucking voice. He only has sex in the suit. And he's not in the suit, you idiot. He borrows the suit to have the sex, <laughs> so people know. And just that voice, just the voice. I, I, I can't yeah, right. imagine. 